0: The Lottery by Shirley Jackson was published on June 26, 1948.
1: This short horror fiction story takes place in small-town America and follows the town's annual tradition.
0: Today, we'll discuss the dystopian nature of the story, the foreshadowing throughout, and the horrific end.
1: This is Analytical. Analytical. <laughs> Hello, I'm Hannah and I'm John
0: and we're your favorite literary nerds today. I think John's going to start us out talking about the lottery by Shirley Jackson.
1: Yes, so I really like dystopian works of fiction. I think they're just amazing and explore a deep seated fear or maybe truth about our society and just modern day societies.
0: I kind of like how you pointed out a fear of our modern societies because it was written in 1948, so it would have been after World War II. So it's an interesting perspective that Jackson would have written about, you know, this like horrific thing going on in these like American towns after something so horrific happened to the whole world.
1: That's another interesting point I think because we don't know if this necessarily happens in our America.
0: I think from the context clues we get, we can kind of jump to the conclusion that this is not the America we know.
1: No, no, of course not. I agree with that 100% because there's no modern technology. There's, there's cities throughout the area, and we only know this because the older man reflects that some cities are dying off with the tradition – or killing off the tradition, rather – and doing without the lottery. I think this statement is especially interesting because the old man hates this. He says that this is his 77th lottery and that this is a tradition that needs to be upheld, but he doesn't even really know why.
0: It's actually said that none of them know why they do it or even how the tradition is supposed to be done, just that they don't want to change some aspects of it. Specifically, they don't want to change the black box they use and they don't want to get rid of it.
1: And the black box itself has changed. Not that long ago, the black box was a different box that the black box has some aspects of, like some literal pieces from the old box or in the new box, which I think is a very interesting symbol.
0: Do you want to expand on that? I do
1: want to expand on that. So yeah, as society goes on, it changes and develops, and obviously we keep some parts of the old and develop it into a new society, into one that we create and change to our own ways. It just kind of reflects how societies develop and how we don't forget the old, but that we make it our own and we make it a new.
0: I can agree with that, especially because like throughout the story they talk about how You know, the tradition has evolved and how Mr. Summers has changed it a little bit where he's not doing as much with it.
1: And how he wanted a new box and everyone in the town kind of let that idea peter out, which I think is really interesting because in other towns, other northerner towns, I think they specified, maybe not, but in other towns, they're kind of doing away with the lottery in general and... Like I said, the old guy really hates the idea, which I think is really interesting, especially because he's the only old, older gentleman we see in town. He's the oldest guy in town. They call him old man, his last name. I don't remember it exactly. But I think that's interesting because I don't know if that just means all the old people have died out as a result of the lottery or if that's just how the time is and there's less old people. There's middle-aged gentlemen, but he's the only old man we see.
0: I think you can also make the argument that perhaps in 1948 there weren't as many older people still alive. You know, we have kind of expanded our medicine and our, you know, technology that has kept people or expanded people's lifespans.
1: That really fortifies your case that the World War II did happen because a lot of older people would have died from the war.
0: Yes, but I don't know if World War II happened in this world or if Jackson was just kind of using what she saw in the real world for inspiration for the story.
1: Yes, there isn't a lot of background to the lottery given. We're just kind of thrown out into the lottery.
0: Okay, so I just had like an epiphany. So what if the lottery is supposed to be the draft?
1: Okay, that, that's a really good conclusion to draw.
0: So in World War II, there would have been, you know, draft uh, drafting of young men for to fight in the war. Speci- Did they draft in World War II? Yes, specifically I can think of like with Elvis and Bye Bye Birdie. Okay, I'm pretty okay. sure Elvis was in World War II. Okay.
1: I will double check. I know that the Vietnam War drafted a lot. And I don't know when, if that would have been correlated with this at all. I'm really bad at history. But I don't know if that necessarily... I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying back it up.
0: So according to National World War Two Museum, on September 16th, 1940, the United States instituted the Selective Training and Service Act of 1940, which required all men between the ages of 21 and 45 to register for the draft. So there was a draft Required, and it does seem like they did draft in World War Two.
1: See, I didn't know if it was as prevalent in World War Two, but if that's what it says, that's fine. I, 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 whenever I think of a draft, I specifically match it with the Vietnam War.
0: That's fair. It just seems like for World War Two is when they started the draft or they like okay, made I that gotcha. act. I got gotcha. you. And to amend my earlier statement, um, Elvis Presley was actually drafted for the Korean War, not World War Two.
1: That makes a lot more sense. That would have been a long time ago for World War Two.
0: Yeah. I think sometimes my history gets a little muddled in my brain.
1: No, I 100% agree with you. I'm terrible at history.
0: (laughs) Which is why we're having a literature podcast and not a history podcast. Yes.
1: It's important for literature events to talk about the history, but it's definitely not our strong suit.
0: To expand on my earlier epiphany, I do think that Jackson might have based the lottery off of the draft that she would have seen, and perhaps maybe some of her family got drafted, or maybe she knew someone who did, because there would have been some starting to get drafted with that act passed from Congress. I
1: think that's a really good conclusion to draw, or really good comparison, rather, to draw. I can definitely see the reflection upon the draft that you're talking about, and the short story itself is really similar to me of The Hunger Games, which I think is a very obvious connection to draw.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if...
1: Suzanne Collins.
0: Thank you. If Suzanne Collins pulled from this for her inspiration of, you know, the drawing for The Hunger Games, but I can definitely see that connection. And that really,
1: to me, that begs the question, did Suzanne Collins, was she talking about the draft when she was talking about The Hunger Games? Which, it kind of is a draft. I mean, these young people are drafted to go fight.
0: So I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that Shirley Jackson is a very prolific author, and that... Her writings have been around for quite some time, especially with like horror genre. Not that The Hunger Games necessarily is of the horror genre, but you can kind of call upon that for the dystopian nature. It could be seen as a t- subtype of horror. But I think that with Jackson's influence in the world, I think Collins probably pulled from Jackson, not necessarily the draft.
1: I would definitely agree with you there. I just didn't know if... Suzanne Collins might have been in a roundabout way, like she said, oh, I really liked how Charlie Jackson was talking about the draft and that, and I think that is a really good, a really good reflection upon the draft.
0: And we're not discussing the Hunger Games today, but it's a very apt connection to make when we are talking about the lottery, because it, it just does seem so similar.
1: Oh, they're really similar. I mean, the only difference is the age thing, I guess, which I think is an important distinction as well, because I don't know if we ever see actual children get drafted. When do you start being drafted in the Hunger Games? Do you know?
0: I believe it's 11.
1: Okay, so in this story, the young girl who's the victim is actually like, what, 8, 6 maybe?
0: No, 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 no. Tessie Hutchison is the wife. Mrs. Tessie's Hutchison. the wife? Okay. Yes, Mrs. Hutchison is the wife. That's the one who gets picked for the I lottery. I thought Tessie
1: was the, okay, understood.
0: So here's kind of, just a quick summary. What happens is that all the town gathers and all the men or heads of the family draw for each family. When you look at your paper, one has a black dot. Whoever has a black dot, their family, all their... People, I guess, in this case, it was five. So they put five more slips of paper and one has the black dot. Whoever gets the black dot gets stoned. They do have a son, Davy, they say, and he seems to be a young child, probably, I would say six or so, where he has to be helped up to grab. They even, a really, like, line that stands out to me in the story is when they say they gave Davy Hutchison some pebbles to stone his own mother. It's just a very, like, you know, kind of horrific thing to happen that the husband stones the wife, and every like her children are stoning her. Their their kids are happy that they are not picked, but they don't care that their mother was picked. And the only one who really seems to be you know upset about it is Mrs. Hutchison when she says this isn't fair.
1: Yeah, everyone else is just like this is how it has to be. And she kind of like put a fight up about her family getting chosen. She said it's not fair. You didn't give him enough time to choose what he wanted, which is interesting to me because. Everyone just is choosing a slip of paper. How, how long can it take to choose the right slip of paper?
0: Yes, but I think she's trying. She's probably trying to, you know, get her family out of it. But her husband goes, shut up, Tessie.
1: Yeah, it was obvious denial, but it was just really bad denial is the point I was making.
0: No, that's fair. But I just think it's interesting that even her husband is, like, shooting her down. Like, no, this is the way that it is. This is the way that it has to be.
1: Yeah, he's all like, this is the tradition. It's really important. We have to keep with the tradition. We got chosen. We will choose who gets to
0: die. Which kind of gets into the little bit of the horrific ending that we alluded to earlier. Just that they do stone her, and we are led to believe that she does die. And just the last line is her saying, This isn't fair.
1: I think that really demonstrates the effective use of foreshadowing she uses, which you can talk about later. But right now, I want to explore a little bit more of the dystopia ideas. I think for me, it really resonates as a member of the Generation Z, the Zoomers. I really think.
0: I kind of like calling it the iGen instead of Gen Z. No,
1: I absolutely hate that actually. I think Gen Z is the best one. Zoomers, I also I think
0: Zoomers is the worst.
1: Zoomers is the worst. I Gen's worse as well. Gen Z is fine. I think that as a member of Gen Z, there's a lot of underlying nihilism in the generation. Just like this world is terrible. It's not going to get any better. And that's why I think I kind of gravitate towards dystopian, um, utopian pieces of work, which I think utopia has a lot of dystopia reflected in it as well.
0: I don't think there are any true utopian universes. They exactly. all have dystopian influences. Yes, they
1: all have dystopian influences. Such as in the short story, The Ones Who Walk Away From Omelas. I think that dystopias are very interesting, and I find them especially interesting because of the underlying nihilism that is just professed through my generation.
0: I guess as a follow Gen Zer, I don't follow as much of the nihilism.
1: I think it's definitely a newer brand of Gen Z, so there's kind of like borderline people such as yourself. You are a little older, Hannah. Almost a millennial.
0: <laughs> that hurts.
1: But I think, especially with the younger ones, it's kind of a view of, oh, this world sucks. Let's do what we can to, like, have fun. Carpe diem is pretty important, and it's just, like, everything sucks. Let's do what we can to enjoy it. Whereas millennials are like, we can still change the world. Zoomers or Gen Z is kind of, like, accepting that we can't change the world. So let's just live it.
0: See, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Because I feel like maybe it is the younger millennials and the ones, like, older Gen Zers. But there are still some that are like, we can change the world. Like, I always think about, like, Greta Thunberg, who is still fighting for to fix climate change.
1: I'm not saying activists don't exist. I'm just saying, as a whole, the generation is a lot more nihilistic. There's a lot of nihilistic tendencies in the generation.
0: Well, maybe Gen Zers will write the next best dystopian universes then, if they're so nihilistic. So to carry on talking about the lottery, I think we should talk about the foreshadowing. So immediately in the story, you are set on this serene day and... It's specifically said the story takes place on June 27th, which is why we made sure to include that the story was published on June 26th, because this would have felt like, oh wow, this is happening tomorrow.
1: Um, I'm going to disagree with you there. I don't necessarily think that a lot of people, especially in 46, 48, I don't think a lot of people in 48 would have had access to the story a day after publishing.
0: No, I'm going to disagree with you there. It was published in the New Yorker magazine on June 26th. Okay, okay. So it would have been read the day it was published.
1: Okay, I I will rescind my disagreement.
0: Specifically in the second paragraph, Jackson points out that people are gathering and just their uneasiness in their gathering. And in the third and fourth paragraph, they should also list out how the women are kind of talking, but no one's really laughing. They're just kind of smiling. It just almost seems to me like a funeral, like people how people act at a funeral where you're supposed to be happy to see like family, but you're also sad because someone has died.
1: Well, I think in that there's an interesting remark on the innocence of children as well because... You say the women are not talking. I mean, the women are talking, but not very joyfully. The pl- children are playing. They're having fun. They, The boys are going around gathering stones, which we don't really know what's for, but they are – courting stones over in a corner by themselves a group of boys are and the rest of the children are just talking about themselves talking about school just got out and just talking about playing the children don't experience the same uneasiness that older people do
0: and i will agree it is trying to point out the innocence of children and i kind of think it's also their loss of innocence like they are gathering stones and you really don't see why and it's just really beautiful and subtle you're like oh yeah these kids are just playing you know maybe that's like their money or something they're just keeping it and they don't want other people to get it but then Later on, you see that these kids take their stones and pebbles and stone someone to death.
1: Yeah, I think the stones are kind of always in the back of your head as you're reading this store because they're collecting these stones. And then you're like, okay, you know, kids are playing. And then it's like, we started the lottery and you're like, okay, what's the lottery for? And then you get more into it and it keeps talking about drawing names. And you're like, okay, why do those boys have those stones? Like, what is going on? And like, that's when you really start to go like, oh, those boys shouldn't have those stones.
0: But technically, in this world, they should have those stones. Yes, of
1: course, they should for the story. But I mean, like, as a moral, as an ethical standpoint, just like, oh, that is not good. Never mind. It's not joyfully playing.
0: No, for sure. And I think that's what is really beautiful about the, like, opening paragraph is that she just sets the scene of this serene day. It's a nice day in June. And the townspeople are gathering. And you think maybe they're gathering, like, you know, for a festival or, like, some tradition that we don't know about yet. And then you get into it in the lottery, and Mrs. Hutchison arrives late, and you're like, okay, cool, she was just at home. She said, I don't leave my dishes out. Again, gets into the foreshadowing of she didn't want to leave her house unkept, because then she dies. I think Jackson just did a really good job of showing that something wasn't quite right, but you can't really tell until you get to that end.
1: Well, I think the title even tries to lead us astray there, because the lottery isn't typically seen as, or... I guess the lottery isn't necessarily a negative thing. Typically a, oh, a chance to make money.
0: That's true. I definitely think the title is a misnomer of types. And so I do think that the foreshadowing that Jackson does just sets us up to, you know, really get that punch at the end that, wow, this is not okay. So, John, I'm going to ask you a question. Of course. Why does the lottery happen?
1: Well, the story never specifically states why. I think it happens because it's a nice little plot moving along for the short story, which is the the writer's standpoint, I guess. But in-universe, canonically, I think the lottery happens not as a means of population control because one person across all these cities isn't necessarily population control. I think it's a form of just control. I think that someone a long time ago decided, oh, this is how we'll keep our citizens in line, which is like the uh, Hunger Games standpoint. But it's a little different because it's just about anyone can get chosen for the lottery.
0: I agree. And with how we see that some cities have stopped it, do that, does that mean that those cities are kind of advanced past it and now they have a better form of control?
1: I don't know if it's necessarily that. I think in-universe we're supposed to get that those cities have risen above tradition or kind of like implementing new ideas. But I would definitely say that I would be scared to go to those cities especially because if this is a dystopian universe, and I don't think this is the only dystopian standpoint of this universe. Of course, this is only a snippet of the universe we're given, but I would love to see the AU of this a whole sto- short story.
0: I really agree with you saying that it is a dystopian universe, and we do see some more proof of that with how they talk about how do you want to go back living in caves, as if they just emerged from caves. So that makes it seem like perhaps the America was bombed as a whole in World War Two, and then we had to like hide away and scavenge and live in caves, and now we just form cities again and we form this lottery as a type of control mechanism.
1: In-universe, I would be scared to go without the lottery because I don't know what else it represents. But as, like, a human, I guess, the lottery, obviously, to me, is, just a, is just a writing symbol used to reflect, like, governmental control, maybe, or more of, like, a unfairness of the world.
0: I think, also, she's really trying to pull upon the mob mentality. So with this, the no one else disagrees with it because it's not them. If it would be them, then maybe it would be bad, but it's not. So it doesn't matter. It's, as long as it's not me, which is kind of, you know, a cynical point of view.
1: I think that is especially reflected in Mr. Hutchinson's kind of cold acceptance, whereas Mrs. Hutchinson was fighting against it. She says, No, it's not fair. You didn't give him enough time to pull the name and he's just like, Shut up, Tessie.
0: I agree. And I think the other men looking around at her, are like looking down on her for, you know, causing a fuss about it.
1: Well, I think any of the other, I want to say women because I think that's what the story wants us to believe. I wouldn't say, I would say anyone really, any sane person in the same position would have fought against it.
0: I can see why you would say a woman. I think it's since she is a mother, we're supposed to see that she's trying to protect not only herself, but her children. And maybe she doesn't care as much that it is her husband. But with her three children being up there having to draw names too, I can see why that would be fighting against it. So another point about foreshadowing is when... Old Man Warner says it's not the way it used to be. People ain't the way they used to be. It does make me think that something has changed about the lottery or something about the tradition has changed that he is not happy with as an old man. And I know John kind of pointed out that Old Man Warner didn't want it to end, but I also don't think he's as much for it.
1: I think Old Man Warner as a character represents an end to the necessity of the lottery because as he says aren't like they used to be they ain't right and i think that he himself doesn't want it to end but his character is saying yes this is a demonstration of people changing
0: i'm gonna disagree with you there i think if old man warner would have been chosen for the lottery then that would have symbolized the end of the lottery since he was the end of the old but i think since the old is kind of living on and you know still around that's showing that the lottery is going to stay around and it's going to expand and stay.
1: I see your point, but I don't agree with it. I think in person, I mean, in story, Mr. Warner reacts very different to the circumstances than his character represents. And I think this idea that I'm saying is also represented through the um person in charge of it who is the person in charge of it
0: mr summers
1: yes mr summers mr summers brings up wanting to get a new box for the lottery and the whole town is just kind of like they don't say no but they don't say yes they just kind of say i don't know which means two things to me it's representation of tradition and it's kind of representation of the end of the lottery because they don't want it to develop they don't want it to change and i think for something to stick around it has to change it has to adapt
0: I can agree with you in part. Um, I do think if they're not trying to get a new box for it, they don't really want it to keep going. But I can also see Mr. Summers and their hesitation to change anything as their hesitation to even change the tradition of the lottery, and they still will keep it around.
1: Well, I don't think this is necessarily the last lottery, but I definitely don't think it's going to be continued tradition for the next 100 years in this universe.
0: That's a fair point to make, and I mean, we I don't think we get enough history of it or history of this world to really nail that down necessarily, but I can see where you're coming from.
1: This is all just speculation. But it, I think it's an important part of reading works is just Drawing implications and drawing inferences. And I think this is just my viewpoint from it.
0: No, that's really important, especially with these short stories, just drawing our own conclusions from the small bits of information we are given. I think that's why it's really important that the language is so beautiful in this writing, that we get so much in this, like eight pages in a PDF, but I mean, just not that long, under 10,000 words writing, that we can see so much and so much. Just development.
1: It definitely goes to show just how hard the short story medium is. I know I've kind of spoken about that in the past. I've hidden to it. But with a short story, because you have to keep it short, obviously, it's just so hard to write and so hard to say what you want. So a good short story does all that in the words it's given. So that's why I think, like, the short stories we covered so far, especially the Poe one, um, the Telltale Heart, is just it's amazing because it tells so much with so little words. In this one especially, too.
0: And moving forward, as we discuss and read more short stories we can just keep that in mind that we are kind of drawing our own conclusions and we can just see what we really, you know, find in their writing.
1: They might mean something completely different to you and that is perfectly fine. That is accepted. That, that is
0: great. Fantastic. Amazing. I mean, you know, you draw upon your own experiences when you read something, you make your own connections. You might read it and be like, why did Hannah think of the draft? But you might read it and think, oh no, that makes sense. Well, listeners, we're so glad you joined in today, and we hope you really enjoyed us discussing the lottery, and we hope you really enjoy the reading of it as well.
1: I really hope you're reading this.
0: I do, too. It would make, I mean, it would make it fun if you weren't. You'd be like, wow, these two are kooky.
1: Also, quick remark, we're using new mics and new equipment, so forgive us if this one's a little rougher, or if it's better, don't forgive us. Applaud us.
0: We hope you'll reach out with your thoughts on the story, and join us next time for Young Good Man Brown by Nathaniel Hawthorne for Thanksgiving.
1: Analytical is created, hosted, and produced by Hannah and John Newland.
0: It is edited by John Newland.
1: The artwork was created by Hannah Newland using Logo Maker and is owned by Hannah and John Newland.
0: The theme music you're jamming to now is created by John Bartman, and you can check out more of his work at his website, johnbartman.com.
1: Web design is by Han Newland, and you can find us at analyticalpod.wixsite.com slash analytical, and you can find that link in the description.
0: All our social pages are at analyticalpod, and you can email us at analyticalpod at gmail.com to reach out and discuss your thoughts on this episode, to chat about literature, or life.
1: Please rate and review us, and subscribe to our podcast, and tell your friends. It will help other people find and enjoy as well.